welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. If you have your Bible, Luke chapter 1, I want to read from uh, Luke 1 and Luke 2 and then explore just a, uh, a particular lens, a particular uh, way to look at this story um, this Christmas. So Luke chapter 1 verse 26 reads, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Chapter 2, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. I don't know what that story does for you. Uh, For me, it's uh, nostalgia. It's uh, history. It's traditions. It's all the things that I remember as a kid. Uh, It's going to my grandma Abbott's house on Christmas Eve. It's uh, going to my grandpa's church, Knox Presbyterian Church, over on Hamlin or on Thomas Avenue, and which was always really difficult because my uncle Mike was a bit of a character, and he would sit at the end of the aisle, egging me and my five brothers on to do crazy and stupid things during the Christmas Eve service, and we just couldn't. You know, we couldn't. uh, We took the bait every year, Um, and you know, mom and dad are shuffling us and banging on, "Be quiet, be quiet," and then it was off to Grandma Abbott's, and then. You know, grandma's on Christmas Day, and I remember tobogganing, uh, sledding at Lebanon Hills. Uh, one of my aunts had a house on, on Lebanon Hills, and we would go with those huge, massive toboggans. Does anyone know how much those things cost? Re- I, w- I found one at, a, at a, like a estate sale, and I was like, oh, cool, one of those old toboggans, I'm going to buy it, you know, classic old thing. And I said, how much do you want for it? And she's like, $750. you got to be kidding me. I mean, it was just ridiculous, you know. I guess they're, they're, they're in high demand. Uh, but it was Christmas cookies and ornaments and all the things. And did anybody hide things in their Christmas tree when you were, do you guys do that? I had a friend who hid pickles in their Christmas, pickles, yeah, what is that? Is that like a, he was from Michigan, but, okay, you do it. We had like this little bird and we would hide it in the tree and we would try to find it. And then, you know, all the four brothers would run to the other room, we'd hide the bird and then we'd all come out and whoever found it, of course, first got to hide it the next time. You know, shopping on Black Friday for some of you, shopping on Christmas Eve till 11 o'clock for my father-in-law, I still don't get that one. But uh, all of these things, you know, uh, I was reminded at yet how simple the story is. Uh, the other day we were at dinner, and my kids were, uh, you know, we were having dinner, which is a code word for uh, the circus had invaded. And uh, so all kinds of things were happening at the table, and we got to Christmas, of course, because the tree's in the other room, and we are talking, and, uh, and I said, now, girls, does anybody know, like, why do we, why is Christmas so special? Why do we celebrate Christmas? And Lyndon, the youngest, looked at me, and she said, Dad. God got born, (laughs) right? I mean, it's that simple, isn't it? God got born on Christmas. And so amidst all of the craziness and all of the things, it's such a simple and elementary story. This year at Awaken, we've been experiencing Advent over the past four weeks. 
Uh, each week we've heard from an artist and a writer, of which you'll get to hear tonight, kind of the, the end of our Advent series, and we've explored hope and peace and love and joy and each of these artists' reflection on these pieces. And so tonight what I want to do is uh, I want to look at this story through the lens of life. Uh, if we continued our Advent series, and this is the word that we've chosen, what does this story tell us about life? And, and I think each year we have to come to this story, uh, and, and I think it takes a bit of an effort to hear it afresh, to hear it anew, because we've heard it so many times. Uh, sometimes we look at a particular character or a particular way of hearing the story. And so this, this year, I want to ask the question, what does this story about Mary and Joseph and Jesus have to tell us about life? Uh, and I would start by saying this, that God is about life. If you look in the scriptures, you find that over and over, uh, you find these all-encompassing kinds of words that are given or attributed to God. So God is love, uh, God is light, God is beauty. And then these words and their corresponding meanings, I would submit, can actually find their beginnings. They find their genesis. They find their home in the nature of who and what God is. Anything that we know about love, anything that we know that's true about love is also true about God because God is love. Anything that we know that's true about beauty, we know is also true about God because God is beauty. And so all of these words, light, love, beauty, um, justice, mercy, all of these big words, we could say, find their home in God. And I would suggest that God is life. God is about life. The scriptures tell us that God is the source of all life. The Psalms remind us that every living creature is a product of divine initiation. It's a product of divine effort. The Psalms uh, tell us that Paul reminds us that in him we live and move and have our being. One theologian I've read says that God is the ground of being, the very existence of God that out of which flows life. So God is life. And this, this is exactly where we find God entering the picture again, as Courtney told this story. 400 years of silence, and then God breaks in, and it's here in the most intimate, in the most beautiful, in the most unbelievable places we experience life. The birth of a baby. It's right here in a barn in the first century with animals in a manger and hay that we find God. And not only do we find God, but we find God soaked and drenched in the most significant life-giving experience that's available to us as humans, which is birth, arguably. So what's necessary for life? If this is where we find God, what's necessary for life? As I was thinking about this story, and Jesus, you know, this becomes a baby, becomes a human being. What's actually necessary for life to happen for life to flourish. And I want to kind of focus on two ideas, and those, those ideas are breath and touch. In order for life to flourish, in order for life to happen, breath and touch. In 1967, the first heart transplant was, uh, was um, happened in a hospital. Uh, lots of medical research went into this whole deal, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, study and tests and all these different things, and a guy named Christian Barnard performed the first heart transplant. People were astounded. They couldn't believe that, you know, usually when you take the heart out of a human, they, they die. But somehow, through this new machine they called the heart-lung machine, they were able to figure out a way to keep the blood flowing in a human and somehow give it oxygen so that you could take a heart out and put a new one in and then start it and it begins to produce life again or it participates in the process of life again. Couldn't believe it. There were all kinds of reporters. There were stories written and all this other kind of stuff. This miracle had happened in modern medicine. And I would venture to bet that just down the hall, there was a mom giving birth to a baby. 
arguably one of the most miraculous and unbelievable moments that we encounter, and it happened just now, and it happened again and again, babies being born all over the world from the beginning of time until now. This incredible moment. So I want to be clear about what exactly happens in the first 30 to 60 seconds of life because it is, in, it is absolutely a miracle. What happened in the first 30 to 60 seconds of Jesus' life when he shows up on the scene? What happened in the first 30 to 60 seconds of your life, my life, every human that's ever walked the face of the planet? So here's a little bit about breath. Uh, in utero, a baby's lungs receive very, very minimal blood supply. It's, it's only enough for them to grow, only enough for them to continue to grow inside mom. And while this is happening, the lungs in the in, in, of a baby actually participate in this breathing pattern while they're inside mom. And so it goes in and it goes out and it goes in and it goes out as if it were breathing, exercising, getting ready. And actually 24 to 48 hours before the baby is born, this activity stops. Bizarre. But then when mom goes into labor, the, the hormones within a mother trigger something inside of a baby that expels all of the amniotic fluid, all of the water that's been in their lungs, and it begins to go out of their lungs, and it pushes it out into their blood and out of their lungs because it's preparing for this miracle that's about to happen. Uh, and and, and it's, it's fascinating, but inside, uh, when, when baby's inside mom, the blood flow goes a particular direction. And it actually bypasses the lungs of the baby because it's, of course, filled with water. And this happens by this little hole in the, in the wall of the heart of a baby. And this blood flow goes the opposite direction of, when, of ours. So the, the blood's flowing in this direction, and it's this closed-loop circuit between mom and baby. And all of the oxygen, all of the nutrients, everything is given to baby this way. And here's, here's the kicker. As the blood flow decreases, so the baby is born, and as the blood flow decreases from mom to baby, there are actually sensors inside of the brain of a brand new newborn baby. Any mechanics out there? Babies are born with O2 sensors. They've got them right off the bat, right? So as the, low, as the oxygen level decreases in their blood, and as they experience light for the very first time, and as they experience this drop in temperature, something happens. And modern medicine does its best to get as close to it as we possibly can, but there is a moment that no one can describe a switch is flipped, something clicks, and <gasps> this breath, and their lungs begin to fill with air. And what happens in that moment is incredible. The blood flow switches, and it goes the opposite direction. And because of the pressure in the veins and the arteries of a baby, the valve in, that, in their heart closes, and the blood flow begins to go to the lungs instead of back to mom. In an instant, in a moment. And then this valve just begins to grow into the wall of the heart and like it's not there. All of this in a second, in a moment. And so I ask the question, what is necessary for life? Breath. What happens in a breath? The first breath, the next breath, the next breath, the, bre the breath you just took, the next breath that we will each take, what happens? It's a gift. It's grace. Is a miracle. And I would argue that it is the breath of God. The Hebrew Bible begins with God hovering over the water in creation. And how does it how does life happen? By the words of God spoken, which is really just a complicated pattern of breathing in and breathing out. Life begins to emerge. The name of God in Hebrew, Yahweh, the letters Yod, He, 
va, he. Say those over and over and over again, and it's as if you're breathing. Yod, he, va, he. And so this Christmas, friends, as we come to this day, may, uh, may we not forget that it is the breath of God that sustains us, that God is as near to each of us as the breath that we just took. God has not abandoned you. You are not alone. But God is as near as our own breath. Breath and touch, what's necessary for life. There's a guy named Ben Benjamin. He's a PhD of massage therapy. There's a good one, right? Like, how do you get that job? Uh, Or how do you get in a study with that guy as the... uh, yeah, right. Uh, so he wrote, this, he wrote this article and uh, did this research. A hundred years ago, in, in, in almost all the orphanages across the world, most of the babies that were in orphanages ended up dying. And they studied. They couldn't figure out what was going on. They were giving these kids enough food. They were giving them shelter. They were warm enough and all these things. But inevitably, these kids would begin to just fade away. And it was just obviously heartbreaking and, and terrible. And so they began to study what is happening in here. And what they found was that when these kids were given food and shelter and warmth, but not touch, they could not and would not thrive. But when you changed that piece of the equation, when you touched them physically, skin to skin, something happened from skin to skin, touch, contact from another human being that actually produced life, that allowed these kids to thrive and begin to grow now, here's the crazy part. The babies, obviously, they grew, they thrived, they, they started uh, doing well. But what they found was that the people, now, now they actually have volunteer grandparents who, who are in you know, NICU units in the hospitals, and all they do is just hold babies because of this research that was done. And what they found was not only do the babies grow, but the volunteer grandparents drink less coffee, make fewer trips to the doctor, they have lower anxiety levels, they have fewer symptoms of depression, they have improved self-esteem. Why? Because for life to flourish touch is essential. Uh, they've done studies on animals, rats, monkeys, basically any animal that has relational capacity, if it's not touched, it dies. Why do I share these stories about animals and monkeys and rats? In the end, I would argue, I would submit that we were made for community. We are literally and physically hardwired to be in contact with one another, to touch one another. My wife went to a chiropractor this week and he talked about, uh, you know, they do, he said we do chiropractic care skin on skin because there's something about the energy that flows when two people, when that flows between them that actually produces and aids in the healing process. There's something about touch that is critical to being human. And I would submit that we were all made for this. We were built for it. We were hardwired for it. And when we don't have it, we die, literally, physically, spiritually. So as we ponder Christmas and this coming of God, this coming near of God to us, I find it interesting that when God decides to show up, he does it as one who needs touch. He does it as a human being, knowing what God knows about us. He does it as a God who needs to be touched, who needs to be loved, cared for, taken in. The God of the universe makes himself available to us in this way. Becomes totally dependent on a teenage girl. I mean, my kids, I can't imagine them as teenagers, right? And this, some of you have teenagers. This is where God begins this new song, this new voice. 
and becomes dependent, the ultimate move of vulnerability. And I find it interesting that, and testimony to, to God, that when, when we see the fullness of God, when we see the most complete revelation of God, it's not an idea, it's not a force, it's not some otherly creature that's beyond us, but it's a human that can touch us if we let him. And so, friends, I would say this Christmas, may you be reminded that the God of this story, the one that we hear every single year, is a God, is the God of life. The God who every single day, every second around this world is breathing new life into new beings. A God who is on the move, as C.S. Lewis says about Aslan, who's on the move turning winter into spring. A God who is on the move breathing new life into things that are dying, offering this Jesus to you and to me. And so we come to this place every Christmas where we decide, where we determine our relationship to this God who offers life, who offers breath, who created us for community and for touch. And we can live in it. We can be people who breathe life into the world. We can be people who offer that back to the world as we receive it. We can be the kinds of churches and the kinds of people who take in those who need to be touched. Or we can sit and watch, but arguably to live, to be human, is to respond to this story. And so may we be those kinds of people who offer breath that breathes life into our families and into our workplaces and into our schools, into our lives. May we be the kinds of churches that take people in and offer community where we touch one another and we hug one another and we love and take one another in. And may you do that as you leave from here and go to whatever it is you go to. What does it mean for you to be a person who breathes life into that and who takes people in, who offers skin-to-skin touch that gives life hugs and kisses and welcomes Love brings to us a baby boy ever at Christmas time. Ever at Christmas time, everything lost will be found. Ever at Christmas time. Pray with me if you would. God, as we think about and ponder this story, uh, would you graciously and lovingly come near to us again and call us out of darkness, call us out of the ways in which we participate in death, call us out. God, would you beckon us towards the life that you offer? Would you invite us and empower us to be the kinds of humans that you've made us to be? Ones who receive this gift, this grace, this breath that, that animates and enlivens us and then offers it to the world and participates in it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Each week we've had some uh, two artists, um, a writer and a artist who have offered something for us. And so I'm going to ask... Laura to come and uh, she's going to read a piece that she's written and then you will hear from Jackie uh, as she just talks a little bit about uh, her art. Um, so.
It seems wrapped up with so much anticipation. When looking forward to a sleepover with your best friend, the anticipation of the whole expanse of a night to talk and become more of yourself in their presence. Life. The anticipation of what this engagement ring means. The whole expanse of a life together with this one. All the hope of the future of what God might do because of your union. Life. The great anticipation zinging through garden stores and jogging around lakes as all Minnesotans witness the tulips pushing up through the snow despite the long, cold, hard winter. Life. The anticipation of a baby. The hope and the unknown. As you imagine what this new life will look like and be like and how this will change you. One moment you're a daughter and then you take this journey of sacrifice and pain and then you become a mom. You will bring hope with a light switch in the middle of the night. You will teach them how to bring peace into an argument. You will love them like a consuming fire and experience the joy of walking with them this journey of discovering all that is inside them. What produces life? At the very basic level, it's pain and process and doing the next thing. In one sense, I know this, and in another sense, I don't want it to be true. I want to get to the end, to watch the first breath of my baby, or to be the better me, or to know resolution after a long journey. But I have to go through each contraction, and I have to walk each step of transformation. There's no skipping through to the end, to what I anticipate as life. The anticipation of life is such a force. There was this other inside of me, and it took so much energy from me. It was a force that motivated me to eat well and try to get rest and take care of myself and nurture and care for this growing being. The sacrifice started right away before their arrival. It was no longer me, but everything for this baby. And then it takes over, my body becoming misshapen and commented on by so many. And yet I have so much hope and love for this unknown person. The anticipation builds as the arbitrary due date passes. I wait and wait. Now I have to get through each contraction, and there is this point at which I think I cannot go on any longer. The pain too great, although productive. The contraction's too strong, and this is when we're almost there. So close. And then I'm holding this life, all flailing and crying and relief and joy. She's here. There is resolution. I invite you to anticipate with me the life of Christ today. There is hope and peace and love and joy and life here. Today, I invite you to experience the notion of life. <coughs> and with oil paint on a piece of wood, this is what I ask of you. To honor the choice that Jesus made to leave his place of immaculate splendor and opulent glory and limit himself to a speck of human DNA. 
that grew in the dark confines of an ill-prepared young woman and delivered it into a dirty barn among the strangest of company. As our little baby Jesus grew into adolescence, he also grew into the awareness of who he was, and he came to the understanding that his life's work would end in torture and brutal murder, and enduring hell itself with the burden of sin from the entire human race. And he said yes every day, each morning, and with every sunrise, he made that choice again. He knows of a life beyond this. And he chose that journey because his inheritance lies in the heart of a simple human being that loves him the same way. So I urge you to say yes to the heart that loves you beyond understanding. And say yes to living a life that brings forth life in others. And choose these things every day and you'll begin to hear the way the stars sing over you and over us. I call this piece um, Birth of a Sun and Sprout of the Earth, and I invite you to celebrate the arrival of life. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.